Amen. Couldn't help but think as you're singing that song, Daryl, how kind God has been to me. I was thinking about miserable sinners, and I thought of me. Because <laughs> I desperately need Jesus. And there are a lot of people, you know, that song comes from the story in Luke 15. Of going to find that, that lost sheep. And the kind of love that God has to leave the 99 to go find the one. What a wonderful transition to sing today as we begin to talk about, still in our series called Multiply, um, those that are lost, those that need to be found, and the job responsibility that has been given to us as God's people to do that work. How many of you would agree with me this morning that we live in a sinful world? I mean, it's, it's bad. This is a, this is a, a sinful place, and, and, and I'm a part of that sinfulness. Don't hear me saying I'm, I'm removed from it. I'm a part of that. By God's grace, he's forgiven me, sanctifying me. It's easy to become discouraged in our world. It's easy to become concerned for my children. As they're growing up, what are they going to have when I'm gone? What is this place going to be like? If it's, if it's as crazy as it is now, what's it going to be like in a few years? You know, I started thinking, even as we look around central Arkansas, Little Rock area, um, just kind of got curious. So it seems like things are pretty bad right now. I, I, I even hesitate to watch the news because <laughs> there's so much murder and so much hate and evil. And I just started thinking, what, what does it look like right now for central Arkansas? Did you know that this year, 2021, is the deadliest year that we've had in a decade? Homicides are up this year. Battery is up this year. Uh, terroristic acts are up this year. Overall crime in the city of Little Rock is, is twice what it is in many other cities. Um, in other areas, 38% of Arkansans are, are struggling with, with reading level. 38%. And do you understand when you can't read well what that does for your future? It doesn't give you a lot of opportunities for advancement and growth. 20% or, or roughly 80,000 people in Little Rock struggle with food insecurity. That's just, that's heartbreaking to me. I could go on and on about crime and brokenness and, and, and hunger and sin and struggle. But the bottom line is this, this morning, friends, there is a great need in our city. There is a great need in your family. There's a great need in our state and in our world in our country, and the bottom line is people need Jesus. They need Jesus. Some of you go, oh, so if we just had Jesus, everything would be better, right? Yes. It's just that simple. Because I believe he changes everything. He changes everything. He changed everything in me. If you know him today, you know what I'm talking about. He's taken you from death to life. He's changed everything. See, if people have Jesus, then we can learn to forgive. Right? It doesn't turn into hate and murder and evil. We, we have Jesus. We can learn to love. We can learn to care for one another. We can learn to serve one another. 
When people find Jesus, we find ways to be a blessing to our community. When people find Jesus, we find ways to help that proficiency uh, percentage go down. Right? Where more people actually know how to read and more people are fed and more people are cared for. And when the gospel of Jesus is taking root in our lives and in our families, in our communities, in our churches, then everything changes. I believe it with all my heart. See, our hope as believers in Jesus and our faith in him and in the gospel is that one day he will heal every broken thing. He will bring justice to every evil deed to give us what uh, the Jews say in Hebrew, shalom. Shalom means peace, but it's more than just peace. It's actually, it also means flourishing. In every possible way in your life that you would flourish and that you would have unbelievable peace in your soul, in your family, in your work, in all that you do, you have peace and that you flourish. That's what the gospel of Jesus brings. And true peace, as as many of us know, is only found in Jesus. I love this text in Colossians 1, if you have your Bibles. Colossians 1, verse 17 through 20, and I want to read it in the message uh, because I just love the way uh, Peterson puts this. He says, speaking of Jesus, he was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. (laughs) He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so expansive, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, watch this, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Just love that text. The death of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus changes everything. And often, sometimes when we, we talk about the gospel, we talk about him bringing wholeness and healing and shalom, often we begin to think about this future tense. <laughs> I do. I'll just admit. And I think, okay, that's great. I know he's going to bring uh, justice to every evil. He's going to right every wrong. It's, he's going to remake everything, all things new, right? It's this beautiful promise and revelation. But we also need to remember that his kingdom is right here, right now on earth. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, you're a citizen of that kingdom. Okay? So this beauty, this, this justice, this love, this peace, this joy can be found in its citizens. Are you a citizen of heaven on earth, right here, right now? Yes, we have a future promise that God will make all things new. But if we know Christ as our Savior, we are citizens of heaven right here, right now. No life isn't perfect. Yes, we're going to face brokenness and painful, devastating moments in our lives. But if we are in Christ, we, we see evidences <laughs> of his kingdom in our lives. This is what it looks like. We find a joy in the middle of pain, right? It's not just the pain that we're walking through, but something deep down in our soul says, oh, but I have hope. 
That's a little taste of the kingdom of God. We have this hope in the middle of that despair. We have an experience of love for one another. When you truly experience the love of God's people in his family, the church, there is nothing like it in the world. Oftentimes, it's even closer than your blood family. Some of you haven't had a great family experience, a blood family experience. And as you engage in the church and when we see the church at its best, because listen, the church makes a lot of mistakes. We've failed a lot. But in the moments that we get it right, in the moments that we look like the church, God wants us to be how beautiful it is, how meaningful it is that we can care for one another, that we can love one another the way God has called us to love one another. That's a taste of the kingdom of God in the here and now. When our hearts, we talked about this recently, when our hearts are burdened and broken for the lost, I mean when we weep, when we're concerned, when we have a passion, a compassion, an empathy for people who don't know Jesus, you are experiencing something of the Father's heart in your own. When you sense that, when you see the brokenness of people and you know in your heart, Jesus can make a difference in them. He could heal. He could change. He could stop this generational curse. Whatever the case may be, when you know Jesus that way and you have a burden, a compassion, a sensitivity for people who don't know him, you're experiencing the kingdom of God, the Father's heart in your own. I like the way Peter reminds us in 1 Peter that we're all aliens and strangers, some of your translations say in your Bible. Another translation says you're exiles. <laughs> what Peter's speaking to is the fact that we are God's people, the people of the kingdom in a world that doesn't look like the kingdom, right? We're aliens, in other words, he says. We're strangers to this world because our lives shouldn't look like the rest of the world. We shouldn't just blend in perfectly. No, we ought to be different. We ought to have lives of salt, lives of light, the Bible says. There ought to be something that people, goes, people say, well, there's something different about you. What, what, what is it? Explain that to me. Well, I'm a citizen of heaven. I belong to another country, another land that doesn't look like this one. I believe with all my heart that though we still live in the middle of brokenness, the middle of sin, the middle of struggle, as believers in, in Jesus, we have hope. We've been given abundant life, he tells us in John 10, 10. We, we ought to see the world differently because of Jesus. I believe with all my heart that every answer to every question and every solution to every problem is Jesus. I believe it. Do you believe that? Friends, do you believe that? That's really the question in it this morning. Do you believe it? I want to pause awkwardly just a little bit more <laughs> for you to think that, for you to feel that. Do I believe this? Do I really believe this? Because if we believe it, here's the question. Are we telling people? If we really believe that, why would we be silent? If we really believe that there is hope to every person's problem, a solution to every person's need, 
an answer to every question in the brokenness of life. If we believe that's Jesus and we really believe it, why wouldn't we speak it? What are we afraid of? Are we telling those in need? Are we praying that God would draw these people that God has made us aware of? Are we praying that he would draw them to himself? Because it doesn't matter how wonderful you're preaching or gospel presentation, if the Lord doesn't draw them, they don't come. He must draw them to himself, and so we pray to the God of mission that he would draw people to himself. Are we learning? This is the big question I have as a church, as a family. Are we learning what it means to multiply? Are we learning what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? Are we learning what it means to make disciples? Because friends, as citizens of heaven, as citizens of the kingdom of God, we are now called, we have now been given the greatest redemptive work. Your life is not about you. That was a big deal for me to finally realize that. Man, I was chasing dreams. My my ups and downs, my depression, my joy, everything was based on how I was doing. My career, my dreams, my hope, and all of a sudden I realized, whoa, 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 life's not about me. God has given me this life that I can make all of my life about him. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in the coming months, but the question really is for our lives, is Jesus Lord of my life? Is he Lord of my life? Or is this just sort of an interest I kind of dabble in? Because when he's Lord of your life and you believe that he's our only hope, then we tell people about him. We've been called to this great, great work. We represent Jesus. Turn with me in your, in your Bibles this morning if you have them or look on screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I wanted us to look at this. We've, we've looked at it in passing in this series already, but I wanted us to really make this sort of our main text today. It's powerful. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, people who are saved, right? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If God has saved you, if he's changed you, your old life is gone and new life has begun. You're somebody different, right? You're a new creation. But what does that mean? He says in verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Right? The Bible says before we knew Christ, we were enemies of God. And when he saved us, we, we left enemy status and became friends, children of God. That means we were reconciled to God. Where we were once enemies, now we're reconciled to God. We're with God. But he didn't only just save us. He didn't only just reconcile us. He did something. He gave us something. Let's keep looking. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You got a gift. The ministry of reconciliation. Not just salvation, the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You've been given two gifts, the ministry of reconciliation and the message 
of reconciliation. You know, not me, that's your job, pastor. (laughs) Not me, that's a missionary's job. Yep, guess who's a missionary? You. Remember that message? If you're saved, you're sent. I mean, does this not say the exact same thing? If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And guess what you get with salvation? A ministry and a message of reconciliation. I'm no longer an enemy of God, I'm a child of God. And I've been given with that beautiful gift of salvation, the gift of a ministry. God's gonna use me. I get to serve God and people. And I get to tell them, that's my message of this message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is somebody, if you think of it from a political state perspective, we send ambassadors to other countries. And in their office, they have our flag in their office and they represent the United States of America. And people can come there and they, it's like they're on U.S. soil when they're in that office. It's sort of the same thing. They, they represent the U.S. and another land. Guess what you are? You're representative of another land. You're an ambassador of heaven, of Christ. You ought to be flying a flag over your life that says, I am his and he is mine. The kingdom of God, I'm a citizen. My home is an embassy for Christ. And when people walk into my home, I hope they feel the presence of God because we are citizens of heaven. That's what we are. You're an ambassador for the gospel of Jesus. Your home is an embassy for the kingdom of God. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, this is the reason we're doing this series called Multiply. It's the purpose that we truly ask ourselves as believers in Jesus are we, are we just church attenders or are we disciples of Jesus? Which is it? To be a disciple of Jesus means we take seriously the great commission of Jesus. It's not the great suggestion of Jesus. <laughs> he might ought to consider. No, it's the great commission. It's a, it's a commandment of Jesus for those in Christ to go to the world and make disciples. Are we understanding that? Are we making changes in our lives, in our prayer, to adopt that, to live that? I want us to consider just for just a few minutes here uh, what we've talked about already, where we've been in this series, can we? Very quickly. We've talked about the fact that God is the God of mission, and if we want to see people drawn to him, we have to begin to pray. Prayer is the foundation of any missional movement, period. So if we want to see one happen in South City, friends, would you please join me in prayer? Huh? Would you? I mean it. Please. Because we're not going to see a thing apart from, from praying and seeking the God of mission to draw people to himself. We're learning that disciples of Jesus, not just church attenders, they're people who take seriously the Great Commission because they want to be obedient to Jesus. They want him to be Lord of all of their lives. We talked about if you're saved, you're sent, right? Believers of Jesus have been sent 
to the world. This, this text this morning says the very, that very thing. Every person who is a new creation has not only been reconciled to God, but has been given a ministry of reconciliation and a message of reconciliation to the world. It's through you that God makes his appeal, it says. You've been sent if you know Jesus. We've asked this question, okay, I'm a disciple of Jesus. It means I'm a learner, I'm a follower. I want to be obedient to him. But Jesus told his disciples in, in the verse of our, our main verse of our, our uh, series, Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men and women and children. I'll make you fishers of men. What does that mean? It means we have to be intentional to find people who don't know Christ and go rescue them. Take them this message of reconciliation. We have to be thinking. We don't have to just live our lives and you know, just don't pay attention to people because we're so focused on our own life. Life's not about you. God has saved you to send you. And now we need to get out of our minds what's in the mirror and begin to look at the world in need. And when we do, when we do, we'll begin to get intentional. And we'll begin to think, wow, I don't think that person knows Jesus. God, would you begin to say that? I mean, this is what ought to happen. When you become aware of a neighbor, of a friend, of a family member, of a coworker who doesn't know Christ, begin to pray. Begin to engage with them. Do life with them. Let's get intentional about the mission that we're on. This text says God has entrusted to us. Entrusted. That feels pretty heavy, huh? He's trusting you with this message. Friends, there's no plan B. God is entrusting you with this message of reconciliation. Are we fishing? Are we intentional in the mission that God has given us? Are we using these circles of influence? Greek word is oikos. Are, are we using these places we go all the time? Our family, our work, uh, the gym, our kids' sports teams. See, we have these little circles of community and connectedness that we're a, we're a part of. We have to just change our thinking from just, oh, yeah, I see these people sometimes. Hey, Bill, to, hey, Bill, I wonder if Bill knows Jesus. You know, Bill was telling me the other day about some brokenness in his life. I wonder if I've prayed for Bill. I wonder if I've prayed for Bill to come to know Jesus. I wonder if God would use me to help Bill come to know Jesus. You see the difference? You don't just live your life focused on all the things that are important to you. You begin to live your life focused on all the things important to God. That's what it means when he's Lord of all. You use this circles of influence. And then we have a heart for the lost. This concern for people who don't know Jesus. And that passion, that compassion ought to move us to action. It wouldn't do any good to just be like, yeah, man, I sure wish they knew Jesus. Oh, well. But isn't that what we do? Ah, hate it. No. If God's given you eyes to see a need, then he's given you a purpose to meet it. Do we own it? Do we believe it? Do we walk in it? Prayers that God would give us a heart for the lost to move us to action. I like the way Paul puts this in our text when he says, we implore you. You know what the word implore means? It means to beg with desperation. Paul's saying, we implore you, be reconciled to God. Please, please 
don't choose hell. Please don't go against God. Please know that he loves you. Be reconciled to God. That is a passion. That is a, a concern that you would be willing to go to that level. A couple of weeks ago, one of our elders, Scott Mesker, did such a fabulous job on preaching about biblical hospitality. Right? The fact that God loved us in the middle of our sin, and that's how we ought to love people. In the middle of their sin, in the middle of their brokenness, come alongside of them. Not, you got to clean up before you come in here. No. Put your arm around them. Man, we love you. We're so glad you're here. And let them go, me? Yeah. Because I was right where you were. In many ways, I still am. God is still doing a work in me by his grace. Biblical hospitality. Then we've talked about this little acrostic, I think is what it's called. The bless acrostic. B-L-E-S-S. We begin with prayer. We listen to people who we think may need Jesus. We truly listen. Not a one-sided conversation that I just want to make sure they hear what I have to say. No, we listen. We, we move towards them in relationship and we eat with them. Because when you care for people, you spend time eating with them. Jesus ate with people all the time and did ministry as he ate with people's relationship. And then as we continue to move closer to them, we find out what their needs are and we serve them. And as we serve them, then we can get to the place of relational equity where they go, hey man, tell me your story. And you can say, you know what, I'll tell you my story, but let me tell you a greater story than mine. (laughs) And we can tell people about Jesus and the gospel and how it changes their lives. This is where I want to get to this morning. We can talk about mission all day long. We can talk about uh, the biblical understanding and implications and precedent, and we should, and we have. But at some point, we got to get to the place of how do we do this, right? If you have something to write with, I want you to go ahead and get it out right now, if you don't already, okay? Maybe you can take notes with your phone or something, but I really want you to get a few of these items, okay? I want us to write this down. I want us to remember it. Don't just, don't just do me the favor of paying attention. Actually, get in there and let's make some notes. Did you know that we have 27 conversations a day? Some of the ladies are like, that's nothing. <laughs> we, we, they say we speak about 16,000 words a day. All right, so we have a lot of conversations, we say a lot of words, we connect to a lot of people, but the question is, are our ears listening for the needs of people? Or are our ears moving towards people so that we can be intentional in mission? So when we're thinking about Bill, we're going, oh yeah, hey Bill, instead of just that, we're going, what am, what am I listening for when Bill talks to me about his life? What, what am I wanting to hear? What, what are some things that ought to, to set me down a direction to help Bill come to know Jesus. That's what I want us to understand, that we need to turn conversations towards gospel conversations. See, many of us are passionate about a lot of things, especially right now. We're passionate about a lot of political items and medical items and a lot of things, but my question is this, are we as passionate to hear our voices speak the gospel of Jesus to people? And if not, God forgive us. Teach us and change us. Why do we get so nervous to share the gospel? <laughs> Am I the only one? Oh, I'm just sweating buckets. I can't do it. <laughs> and then you finally do it and you're like, 
that was just a conversation. That really wasn't that big of a deal. I think what would help in, in, in being nervous and being afraid of these conversations is practice. You know, I, I sang for a living for a long time on stage. And the first few times I sang, I was like this, you know. I was scared to death. And as I did it more and more, I wasn't quite as scared. And, and, and the energy of the fear sort of led me to even perform better because it was fun. That's, I think that's what happens even as we share the gospel. You don't have to be nervous. The more you do it, the more you practice it. Yeah, practice. Practice this conversation. Practice these transitions to help people in the conversation towards gospel conversations. Um, I think it will help. This is, this is the main point that I want us to see today. A couple of things. When we're, when we're trying to help people understand gospel conversations, first two things we need to realize, Right? One is that effective, truly effective conversations with people about the gospel uh, are going to come from you being patient. If you recognize somebody may not know Jesus and you're going to have to begin with prayer and listen and eat and serve, that's going to take a while. You may not get to share the gospel tomorrow. It's going to take a process of you building relationship, you building relational equity, you showing that you're somebody to be uh, trusted, you're trustworthy. So it may take a while. And, and there's also this aspect of waiting on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will move you into opportunities for conversation. Sometimes it's over a, a longer period of time. Sometimes it's just like that. You might have been sitting on an airplane uh, next to somebody and the conversation comes up and you think, this might be an opportunity for me to share the gospel. Somebody at the grocery store, somebody at some other place. So there's two opportunities, either be patient or be ready. That's it. To be ready, uh, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, he says, be instant in season or out of season, which means be ready. Whether you know you're going to have a conversation with your neighbor tomorrow or somebody just comes up to you and wants to know the hope that you have, are you ready to share what it is? Are you ready? Church, I want us to be ready. I want people, partners of South City Church to go, I'm ready. I'm practiced. I'm memorized. I, I, I want to share the gospel with people. And guess what happens? You'll begin to have more conversations because you are ready. We have to be actively listening for these opportunities. God works in either setting. I do believe God uses relationships to share the gospel with people, but sometimes he uses quick stranger relationships as, as well. So after we pray, after we listen, after we wait on the Holy Spirit, we need to look for these opportunities to turn the conversation, an everyday conversation you might have with a neighbor, to a gospel conversation. I want to uh, introduce a book to you that has been really helpful this week, and a lot of this content is coming from some of this book. Um, it's called Turning Everyday Conversations into Gospel Conversations. I think we have a picture of it we were going to show you, uh, just so you could get a sense of it. So if you go to Amazon or some other place where you purchase books, you could see it. Uh, it's written by a couple of guys. One of them's name is, is uh, Scoggins or Scroggins. But it's been really helpful this week. And a lot of the content, a lot of the conversation in this book is about the fact that when we have conversations, and I'm not just talking about how are you, the, 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 the Cowboys played a good game last night. I'm talking about, hey, we're getting a little deeper. Like, hey, man, if you think of us, you know, pray for us. My, my wife's mom passed away. Or, hey, my, my daughter is really kind of off the rails. I don't know what's going on with her. What you, and they happen. 
When people have meaningful conversations, they share issues, problems, and concerns, right? That's what happens when you have meaningful conversations. When they share uh, meaningful issues, problems, concerns, you have a possible opportunity to move that conversation to a gospel conversation. Not every time. I think you do it when the Holy Spirit leads you to that conversation. Sometimes people are just sharing and you say, hey, you know what, I want to pray about that, and I sure will. But there may be a moment where somebody shares something with you and you think, I think the Holy Spirit's leading me to to move this direction, all right? So, and some of you are going, I don't know if I can do it. Let me, it becomes easier and easier. When I was a kid, my brothers and I used to play this game called the slug bug game. You ever play that game? You're driving down the road, and and young people today don't appreciate um, the Volkswagen Beetle the way old people like myself do. But um, the, the Volkswagen Beetle was much more prevalent in traffic when I was growing up. And so the, the slug bug game is when you saw a beetle, you punched your brother in the shoulder. Well, and if you saw it first, you get to punch him. So then you're like, beetle, 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 where's the beetle? You're, your mind is scanning all over traffic, and if you catch it before he does, bam, right? But you don't want to get hit in the shoulder. And what's funny is you never notice so many beetles until you start playing this game, and then they're everywhere, right? It's the same deal with gospel conversations. When you change your listening ears to be intentionally listening, you will hear issues. You will hear concerns. You will hear fears. You will hear problems where people are saying, I don't know what to do. Or I'm hopeless. I'm fearful. And there are moments that we can intentionally hear that, and hopefully it'll go ding, 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 ding. Guess what I get to do if the Spirit leads me? Turn this to a gospel conversation. A couple of things I want to show us before we leave this morning. The first one is this. You have to have a transition statement. In other words, you go from the everyday conversation to transition to the gospel conversation. Not in an uncaring way, like I just can't wait till they shut up so I can have the gospel conversation. Not, no, not that. No, we, we listen. That's part of the blessed thing, right? We listen. Let them finish. Let them share their heart. You know, I love the story of Nehemiah as he goes before the king and Nehemiah. And Nehemiah has heard that the wall of Jerusalem is, is broken. He wants to go back to Jerusalem. And he goes before the king. And this, he could lose his life if this doesn't go well. He's the cupbearer of the king. He goes before the king. And the Bible says he shoots up a prayer. Lord, give me the right words to say. And then he, he makes his request. I think we need to adopt that when we have these conversations. So when we, 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 we hear intentionally listening an issue, a problem, a concern, we, we shoot up a prayer. Lord, is this the time that you want me to share Jesus with this person? Listen. Be moved of the Holy Spirit, not your agenda. His, right? And if you can get to this place, and by the way, transition statements are all throughout Scripture. They're all throughout the New Testament. Let me give you a few to, to be thoughtful of. This is not just some crazy idea. Peter and John, Acts 3, they go to the temple, and they find a beggar who wants some money. And Peter makes the statement, the famous statement, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus. Rise and walk, right? Do you see what Peter did? He took a conversation about money and need and turned it to a conversation about salvation, his greatest need. You see that? He transitioned that conversation. Philip, 
God told Philip to go to this place where he would, he would run into somebody and he'd be able to, to be on mission. And, and here comes the Ethiopian in, in a, uh, one of those things. That chariot, thank you. And it's going down the road and he hears the, the Ethiopian and he's, he's reading the book of Isaiah, which would be very expensive to have your own copy. And he's taking it back to Ethiopia. And he, so Philip runs alongside the chariot and says, hey, I hear you're reading Isaiah. Yeah, would you like to know what it means? Do you see what Philip did? He took a conversation about a book that may not mean a lot to this man and turned it into a gospel conversation about his salvation. He baptized him right there on the spot. Isn't that beautiful? I, I think about Jesus because he transitioned conversations all the time. The woman at the well, he starts out like this. Uh, so would you mind getting me something to drink? She's like, why would you want to drink something from me? I'm Samaritan, you're a Jew. So the conversation starts about water. How common. And then Jesus says, well, actually, you know, if you drink water from me, you would never thirst again. He's transitioning to things that only satisfy. And the only thing, by the way, friends, that satisfies is Jesus. Right? And so then he begins to turn towards salvation and eternal life and the fact that I'm the Messiah, he says. He transitions. He does it again with the rich young ruler. He changes his, his idea of, of good deeds to his lack of faith. He had more faith in his riches than he did in Jesus, right? That, that didn't end in salvation. It ended in rejection of Jesus. The, the, the man who was lowered through the roof, who was crippled, he comes down as a huge spectacle. Jesus didn't go, oh my goodness, you're crippled. Let me heal your legs, did he? What did he say? He said, your sins are forgiven. He transitioned another spectacle into what matters most, not the healing of the man's legs, but the healing of the man's life and heart. He saved him. He forgave his sins. And to prove that he could do such a thing, he healed the man. So we have to listen. We have to transition these everyday conversations. It might sound something like this, and I want you to write this phrase down. Your transition phrase may sound something like this. I haven't been through that exact situation that you're talking about, but I have been through some, some issues of my own. Would it be okay if I shared some, some things that have really helped me? I haven't been through that exact situation that you just mentioned. I haven't been through that. Or maybe you have, and you can share that you have. But I have been through some of my own stuff. I have been through issues of my own that have been devastating. Would it be okay if I shared with you the things that have given me hope? Most of the time, people at that point will say, well, sure. And if they're truly in need, they just want help. They just want to know the truth. They just want to be encouraged or helped. The next thing that I want to introduce to you before we go is what's called a gospeling tool. You've heard of these before, and if you've been raised in church or maybe you've been witness to this, they're the things like the four spiritual laws or EE, evangelism explosion, or the ABCs, of salvation, or the Romans road. Those are all great gospeling tools, and you're familiar with those. But I want to share a new one with you called the three circles, okay? Uh, it's very simple, and I, I'm a visual learner. Is anybody else a visual learner? I like to see things, and I'm thankful for Pastor Daryl who's hooked us up with this uh, really fancy pencil. I'm double click, and okay. 
If you have a napkin and you're at coffee, if you have a piece of paper and you can do this really quick, simple exercise around three circles, you can help people visualize their need for Jesus. It looks like this. This one says God's design. And you say, and listen, originally God created the world and it was this beautiful place. It was amazing and there was Adam and Eve. I know you've heard of Adam and Eve. And they, they had this, this relationship with God. God actually came to the garden and walked with Adam and Eve. They loved one another. It was beautiful. And well, you know what happened, right? They sinned. And when they sinned, what happened is it caused a separation from God. They no longer walked with God. They were separated from God, and it caused brokenness. And here's the thing about brokenness that, that we, don't, we don't realize, but brokenness, when, when we sin and we're separated from God and our lives are broken, then we, we start turning, trying to medicate ourselves to things like addiction, sexual satisfaction, or even sometimes we say, I got myself into this mess. Surely I can get myself out. And we just lead ourselves deeper into brokenness. And as you're sharing this, this person, they're identifying, yeah, I, yeah, that's me. But here's what changed my life. Repent and believe. When I learned that I could change who I was because my way wasn't working. Following my direction wasn't working. Right? My life was a wreck. I decided to go God's direction and to repent. It means to say, God, I'm sorry for sinning. I want to turn your direction, not go my, my direction anymore. And I want to believe in you, that you died on a cross for me. And when I did that, it led me to this third circle of the gospel. And I can tell the story of the cross because what happens in the gospel is that God, the God of the universe, the God that walked with Adam and Eve in his love for humankind, sent his one and only son to the earth. And when he did, he became our sin. He became our sin. Even the verse says this morning in our text, he became sin who knew no sin because he loved us. Theologians call this the great exchange, where God exchanges my sin. He takes my sin, and he gives me his righteousness, and it allows me to be able to go to heaven, to know him. And when I repent and believe, it doesn't fix all my problems necessarily in that moment, but it forgives all my sin. And what happens is now, I can begin to Recover and pursue the original design of God. See, God wants me to be in relationship with him again, just like Adam and Eve were. He wants me to know this design. He wants me to live in relationship with him. And now that I've repented and believed, and because of the death of Christ and the gospel that has changed me, I can now recover what's been lost because of Jesus. And I can now pursue holiness because the Holy Spirit lives in my life. This has changed my life. I can't even begin to tell you how much. 
And then you take the napkin and you hold it up to somebody and you say, does this make sense to you? And they hopefully would say, I think so, or yes. And if they do, you can say, well, point to me where you are on here. Well, they may point to this area or this area. And if they do, then you can say, well, let's talk about this. I want to pray for you. But let me just ask you this question. Has your way been working for you? No. And then the next thing I want you to write down is the invitation. And it's just this simply, this, simply this. What would keep you from repenting and believing today? Why don't you try it God's way? What would keep you from doing this today? It's changed my life and it's changed countless people's lives all over the world. God wants you to have life and life more abundantly. Not to live in this brokenness, but to recover this original design, this original relationship, and pursue a life in Christ. What's to keep you from doing that today? And if they say yes to that, then you have the unbelievable privilege of leading somebody to Jesus, which we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks. Okay? I wanted you to see this little diagram. Um, I'll put... I'll put some of these uh, pictures up on our family page so you can see more of those. But we don't have to be nervous in this conversation. We can actually be prepared. We can actually say, you know what, I want, I want to talk to you about what's changed my life, and I can show you. And then you can give it to them, they can take it home, and they can put it in their car or on their mirror, and they can begin to think about what does it mean that I've repented and believed. What does the gospel change in my life? And what does it mean now that I can recover and pursue a life of godliness with Jesus? Friends, I think it's obvious that our world is in need. It's obvious that there is a great need for Jesus. It's obvious that there is a great misunderstanding of what the church is, why it exists, how it should even be led and, and, and lived in. And that explains so much brokenness in it. The world needs Jesus and we have the answer. And if you know him as your savior, you've been given the gift of salvation, the gift, the, the ministry of reconciliation, and the message of reconciliation. Are we operating in those gifts? Are we walking in that message? Are we living in that ministry? Are we being the megaphone that God wants us to be. Because he's making his appeal through us, through you, through me. I want you to pray with me this morning. My prayer as I begin to pray here is just that God would help us to turn any conversation we may have with a neighbor, a coworker, or whoever the case may be, into a conversation about the gospel because I promise you, whatever it is that's going on in your, your friend's life, your neighbor's life, your coworker's life, their need is Jesus. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. God, thank you for your kindness toward us. Lord, I'm just even reminded in your word, it says it's your kindness that leads us to repentance when we consider how kind you are. Father, we are guilty. We are sinners. We are enemies of yours. And you could just zap us. We deserve it. But it's your kindness. 
It's your grace. It's your mercy that leads us to be repentant. To say, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to live your way. My way has not worked, obviously. I want to try your way. Will you forgive me? God, my prayer is if there's even one person, even here today, I believe with the number we have in here today, there's probably a few people in here right now within the sound of my voice or watching online that don't know you as their Savior. Holy Spirit of the living God, would you convict them? Would you draw them to yourself? Would you help them to see that they have a great need? That they are living lives of brokenness like we all have. And if we were, we repent and believe in Jesus and the gospel, God, you'll save our, our souls. You'll change our lives and you'll give us hope, a ministry, and a message for someone else. Lord, we love you. And I pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, may they come in this moment as we sing and may they find your grace in Jesus. Lord, if there's somebody here that maybe they've known you a long time and they've never operated in the gift of the ministry of reconciliation or the message, God, may we repent and, and, and get to be uh, obedient immediately. Give us these tools. Give us these opportunities and make our hearts and ears aware of the needs of people that we engage in gospel conversations to make you Lord. That is our prayer. Be with us now, we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.